is about Berea Baptist, but we love you people and we continue to pray for you and hold you up to the Lord. And I just pray that God is going to anoint some leadership to come in and just really get this thing moving again. What a great church it is. God has blessed it over the year. Well, this is Memorial Day weekend. And it's an American holiday. I, I, we, we have so many holidays. When I was a boy, we worked just about seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. We didn't have a lot of holidays, but uh, now we have so many that uh, I couldn't remember exactly what it was. But it is uh, the day set aside to honor those who have given their lives to keep us free. And I, I didn't realize it started shortly after the Civil War. Congress decided to set aside a time, I think they called it Remembrance Day, in the beginning because they wanted us to always remember that 600,000 young men died to keep this country together, one nation. 600,000. I don't know if that's a record, but it's got to be close. I, I don't know. Uh, I just worried about the girls that were left. There was probably five or six women after every man, you know. Even some of you ugly guys would have one or two. And a good-looking guy like me, I'd have eight or ten, wouldn't it? But I, I, can't, I can't even put, handle the one I got, so I sure wouldn't want to have eight or ten of them. But I'm no Solomon, so I won't do that. Anyway, we are going to have another memorial service, and on this service we're going to remember that one man who gave his life so that all men in the face of the earth, all men who have ever lived, could be free, free from the bondage, free from the slavery of sin. I title my message today, How the Death of One Man Literally Changed the World. I don't know if you realize just how important the resurrection is for we Christians. Paul says if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ did not rise. And if Christ did not rise, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. Yes, we're found to be false witnesses. That's her talking about the preachers here. We are false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ when he did not raise him up. In fact, the dead do not rise. People were beginning to say that in the church, some of them. We get all kinds in the church. People do not even believe in the resurrection. And Paul says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ did not rise. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still lost in your sins. We who call ourselves Christians, we are of all men most pitiful, most miserable. But praise God, Paul says, Christ has risen. He rose from the dead. 
He became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, he became the first to be raised from the dead again. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So this memorial service we're going to have today will honor that one man. How one man changed the world. I mean, you think about it. 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked here on earth, he only had about 120 followers. Not many, not even 200. And yet here we are today, 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion men and women, boys and girls, are followers of Jesus Christ. Now we, well maybe you do, my mind's kind of small. I can't really think in billions. I think of a man being a millionaire, he's got a lot of money, but you know how many million it takes to make a billion? One thousand million to make a billion. That's a big number. It takes about that much room to, to make it, to write it. I'll show you how we can compare it a little bit. There are more Christians in the world today than there are people in the China. And China has tons of people in it, I tell you. They're raising up an army of so many millions so they can help fight that final battle, I believe. But anyway, it's larger than that. And then you could throw in all of Europe, add that to China, and there's still more Christians than that. You can throw in the population of the United States, and there is still more Christians than all three of those large nations. And the amazing thing to me is the founder of the church, Jesus Christ, he never wrote anything down. He never wrote a book. He never wrote a letter as far as we know. More books have been written about Jesus Christ than any other subject in all of history of mankind. Bar none. Second is not even close to the number of books written about Jesus Christ. Jesus never wrote a song. He never composed any music. And yet more music has been written about Jesus Christ than all of the subjects they ever wrote about. And amen, they write about trains and uh, and mamas and papas and uh, you name it all you take all of the subject they've ever written a song about and there's more songs written about this one man and I could go on and on he never built a great university he never built a hospital in fact he never built one single thing when he lived here on earth and yet today Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross and then proved that He was the Son of God by being resurrected on that third day, He has produced four incredible things for all men everywhere, but especially for you. And I want to share those four great things with you 
this morning. Well, I'm not going to. I won't have time. We're going to have this memorial service next Sunday. If you'll come back, uh, I'll finish it up. But this morning, I want to look at these four things. You know, it, it changed the world. We It changed our calendar. We always, you're either before Christ, A.D. or B.C., You all have a birthday that's dependent on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, the first benefit I want to share with you, brother, I don't have to live with guilt and shame anymore. Now think about that. You Christians, you don't have to live with guilt or shame. A lot of you do. But especially the non-Christian doesn't have to do that anymore because Jesus paid for my sins on the cross. You see, He was nailed to the cross so I could stop nailing myself to the cross. Isn't that what you do? Man, we're always crucifying ourselves. Man, I'm not worth killing. I always tell people, man, I raised up and I thought, sure, they'd throw me in jail or... Crucify me some way. I wasn't worth killing and I'm still trying to lay my guilt on that. Jesus was nailed to the cross so that I could stop living a life filled with guilt and shame. I don't know if you realize it or not, but that's one of the big problems that just about everybody has. Just about everybody goes through life carrying this load of guilt, shame of something they can do. I can tell you about an event that happened in my life years ago. It still comes back to plague me. Even though I know God doesn't even know about it. He washed it away so far, he can't even remember it. Jesus paid for it and washed it away, but I keep bringing it back and saying, Calvin, you're not worth killing. You're worthless. We all carry those things with us. We're all uh, riddled with guilt and shame and regret. Why? Because we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes, for all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all do stupid things that mess up our lives and the lives of others. But did you also know God never intended for you, for your life to be filled with guilt and shame and regret? In fact, that's why He sent Jesus to take away that guilt. That's why He allowed His only Son to come into this world and die there on the cross of Calvary for your sin, not anything He had done. He died for your sin and for my sin. He he died to give you forgiveness. Paul says in Christ, Ephesians 1 and 7, In Christ we have been set free by the blood of His death. And so we have forgiveness of our sin because of God's marvelous grace. Now most of you are 
well, I say most of you, I have no idea nowadays, but uh, those of us who grew up, I started out in the nursery in a Southern Baptist church, and brother, before I could talk or even understand, they were teaching me what grace is. Any of you remember the definition? Two little words. What's the definition of grace? Unmerited favor. That means you ain't worth having forgiveness. You aren't worth having somebody come and die for you on the cross. Because of the sins you committed, Jesus had to die for your forgiveness. Again in Romans 4, Paul says, Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. And he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. This event literally changed the world and it can change your life if it hasn't already. You see, when Jesus cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them because they don't even understand what they're doing. I asked the question to myself, I said, who is it that really put Christ on the cross? Who is it that killed Jesus? Well, I think the answer will probably surprise you. Because you see, it wasn't Judas. Sure, he betrayed the Lord and allowed them to take him and put him through a mock trial and then kill him and bury him. It wasn't him. It wasn't uh, Caiaphas, the high priest. He was a religious leader who led the whole thing and caused all of this to happen through the church. It wasn't Pilate, the Roman governor. It wasn't even the crowd who cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Let Barabbas go free! He only murdered people and robbed them along the highways. Let him go free! Put this guy to death. It wasn't them. You know what? It wasn't even the Roman soldiers who literally pounded those nails through his hands and through his feet and uh, beat him with a cat of nine tails until his back was bloody with cut to pieces. They planted that crown of thorns. Have you ever seen a picture of it? Those thorns were an inch, maybe two inches long and they crushed it into his brow. They were not the ones who did it. I'm not going to ask you who you think did it because I'm going to tell you. God did it. What? Yeah, God is responsible. It was all a part of His plan. It's the whole reason He sent Jesus to earth. Jesus said, I came to earth to die. It was for that purpose. He didn't come to be a great preacher. He didn't come to to be the Savior. I mean, He came to be the Savior and to die for your sins so we could be free from guilt and shame forever. He did it for your benefit. He did it to save you and to save me. That's why we love John 3.16. For God loved you so much. He literally gave His Son to become flesh and blood and to come down into this world and let them crucify Him. Jesus said, they can't take me if I don't want to be taken. 
I'm going to give myself because the Father wants it. Why did the Father want it? Someone had to pay for Calvin's sin. Somebody had to pay for your sin. They tried everything. They tried bulls and lambs. They even tried sacrificing babies and virgins. They'd be up a creek today, wouldn't they? But they tried everything to get rid of this sin problem. And they couldn't do it. So God said, I'll let my son come. And he'll become that sacrificial lamb that will take away the sin of the world. Well, there's a powerful passage of Scripture in the Bible that explains the crucifixion of Jesus. And strangely enough, we have to go back to 700 years before He's born. And a fellow by the name of Isaiah says, With this... with, by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. By the way, I, I don't like to get into uh, denominational beliefs, but our, our Pentecostal brethren, they're wrong about using that verse there. With his stripes we are healed. Just because Jesus got bitten, uh, beaten, that's not why we get healed. That verse is trying to tell us by His suffering, by His death on the cross, we are healed of the bondage and torture of death, of sin. S-I-N. That's how we get healed of the real disease we've got. We've all gone astray. We've all forgotten God. That means we left God out of our lives. The moment I got old enough to make my own decision, I began to go against what God wanted me to do. God said, Calvin, I want you to be a preacher. When I was 15 years old, I said, no way. I'm going to go make money. That's what they've been teaching me in school. You've got to have money. You've got to have things to be uh, happy in life. And I'm going to do that real fast. Fifteen years, I went against God. Anything about God, I turned against it. Brother, we've all forgotten God. And that is called S-I-N. Sin. But look at that phrase there. The Lord laid on Him. The Lord laid on him. God is saying, I'm responsible for this. It was my idea. Somebody's got to pay for your sins, folks. Either you or somebody else. And so God said, I'll pay for them myself. I'll pay for them for you. The Lord laid on him the guilt and sins of us all. And then later in that passage, there was a change in tense. These are all things that are going to happen. Future tense. But after that, it says, Yet when his life was made an offering, he will have a multitude of children. In other words, when he was accepted as the sacrifice for our sin... 
Then we became children of God. That sin was taken away and we could have a right relationship with our Father Lord. What a marvelous thing that is. Well, that's the first thing. The second benefit the world got from that, He set us free from the fear of death. I don't know if you know it or not, but that's the number one fear of mankind. The fear of dying. We don't like to talk about it. We talk about memorial services. We talk about let's honor this person's life. Things like that. Uh, We talk about the memorial park or something. We don't talk about the cemetery or even we used to call it a graveyard when I was a kid before I knew to be afraid of it. But it's a great fear we have and we don't have to fear death anymore, folks. You know what? We fear death because we don't know what's going to happen at that event or immediately after. Are we going to live? Is there an afterlife? Are we going to turn into a flea or maybe a monkey? What's it going to be like? We're afraid of that. But I want you to know Jesus defeated death. He conquered death. He overcame death. Next time you drive by a cemetery, you have to lean your head. If you're not driving, lean your head out the window and say, Cemetery, you lose because Jesus proved that there is life beyond death. So I don't have to fear death anymore. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, I'm going to have to turn to these scriptures. So you give me a little chance here. Romans chapter 6. If I find it. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That's Jesus he's talking about. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Paul is really explaining what happens when we uh, practice the memorial of baptism. Baptism literally represents the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. Paul says, we, we believe that. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. You remember after he came back uh, from the resurrection, he took the keys of life and death and he shook it in that old devil's ugly face and he said, look! I'm he that was dead, but I'm alive again. And brother, I will live forevermore. And then he turned to you folks here this morning and he said, Because I live, you shall live also. And that doesn't mean... I'm 39, 39 years old or something like that. No, that means you're going to live forever. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died for sin once and for all. I know Christians still have a problem with it. Christ died for those sins you're going to commit Probably for some of you this afternoon. Most of us will stay religious all day today and wait till tomorrow. But we're going to keep sin as long as we're living in these old lives. Now that's no excuse for doing it. 
Paul will tell you, you get, don't, don't use that for an excuse. No, he died sin for sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives for God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we die when we give our life to Jesus Christ and ask His forgiveness, receive Him as Lord of our lives, we die to that old life of sin. Death is gone forever. And we live, well, just like Jesus, forever. John's Gospel. I want to quickly go through a couple passages today. John in chapter 5 says, Most assuredly, I cross that out and I put an absolute truth. That's what the Greek means here. This is an absolute truth I'm saying to you. He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come unto judgment. Condemnation is probably a better word there. Will not come under condemnation. You don't have to stand uh, in response. And I'm going to show you that in a few minutes. But has already passed from death unto life. And then again, of course, in chapter 11, you've all heard it many times when Mary and Martha, her, the brother died and they were kind of shook up at Jesus be honest with you they were a little bit mad when he finally arrived they said Lord if you'd have been here you would have made him well and he'd still be with us but you waited too long and Jesus says well it's for my purpose and he says this to him he says look I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me though he may die He shall live. And whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. You know what Jesus is saying there? Jesus is saying the person who only is only born once, that person is going to die twice. But the person who is born twice will only die once. And you say, man, that sounds like a a puzzle to me. I don't understand it. The fact is, we have a case where one of the wisest men in uh, Jerusalem asked Jesus, what can I do to be a Christian? Jesus said, you must be born again. You must have a second birth. And Nicodemus says, (laughs) uh, he says, "That, that doesn't make sense. How could a person crawl back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm saying, Nicodemus. I'm saying you get born of the flesh. They always call it water in the scripture. You're born of the flesh, every one of you. You probably got a birth date, but you wouldn't tell me what year you were born in. I was born September 4th, 1932. Makes me 39. I had a doctor the other day. She come out looking for 
uh, Calvin Hogue, I got a bad eye. You don't know it, but I can't see you with this eye. I can only see you through this eye. But I got a bad eye, and she come out, and she looked around at everybody, and she says, Is there a Calvin Hogue here? I was sitting right there by her. I said, Here I am. She said, Oh, I, uh, come on in. I got an opening here. I'll take you right now. And I got in there, and she said, You know, the reason I didn't look at you or call on you, she said, I came out there looking for an old 82-year-old man. And there you sat, 65 years old. And I said, thank you, girl. You'd be on my list forever. <laughs> but you, we all get born once. But for that person who only gets born once, they're going to have to die twice. And Nicodemus didn't understand that one either. So Jesus gave him a good example. You say, well, hold it. I don't care about Nicodemus. I want to know what the Bible says. And so I'm going to tell you the Bible says, but i got to go all the way over to the back of the Bible. The last chapter, well, next to the last chapter, back in chapter 20, John says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and Hades delivered up the dead that were in them, and they were judged each and every one by his works. Now, it's a little bit confusing here because it says uh, the books were opened and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And then it says everybody was judged by their works in the books. Now, the truth is John put that in there about the book of life saying when you get before the great throne judgment, after you die, you're going to stand before God And the books are going to be open. The first book to be open is the book of life. And unless your name is written there, then you're going to have to be judged for all you've done. But if your name is written in the book of life, they'll say, stand in this line over here. You won't have to be, Paul says, you won't be under condemnation for it. So uh, that's why he put that in there. But anyway, the sea gave up the dead that were in them, and death and hell gave up the death that were in them, and they were judged each one according to his works. Now listen to this. Then death and hell put it, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Listen, there's more though. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire to spend eternity with the devil and his angels. But more important than that, to spend eternity separated from the love of Almighty God. That's the second death. But you only experience that if you've only been born once. But if you get born twice, then you skip that second part. Jesus will say, come on, I've already paid the price for your sin. I've covered it all. Come on into glory. If you've heard that joke, I tell. 
Jesus will say, Come on in, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. If you happen to get cremated. So you see, folks, the born-again Christian has absolutely nothing to fear from death. Paul says, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Do you remember over in Philippians? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die would be better yet. Oh, I'm going to live here. and I know it's good. I'll win people to the Lord and be for God's work. I'll do it as long as I have to, but I'm looking forward to that day. And it's not far away when that axeman's going to cut my head off and I'll wake up in the arms of Jesus. That's the kind. That's what death is for the Christian. Paul says it's falling asleep. There is no death for the Christian. It's closing your eyes, waking up with Jesus. So we're going to have that memorial service this morning. And I hope it has brought your minds back to that day when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And if you're not absolutely sure, you can be. There's no reason for any Christian to ever have fear of death. I know it's unknown, but yet we've been told what it is. It's waking up to be with Jesus. No more... Well, someone has written a thing here. I was going to read it to you as a closed here. Can't find it now. (laughs) How can we know that Christ has done away with death for the believer? Well, we're going to know it when we sail past Mars and the Milky Way at speeds up to a million miles a minute without any spacesuit on. We're going to know it when we stand in the glorious presence of our, with our brand new disease-proof bodies. When we stand in His presence with fatigue-free bodies, pain-free bodies. Boy, wouldn't that be great to be pain-free. <laughs> disease I don't know I'm, I'm taking more pills lately to keep the pain down than I am to get well but when we stand before our Lord and Savior with our never dying bodies we will know that Jesus paid the debt he's who he said he was he came to set men free and if you don't know that this morning You ought to make sure of it. Today, don't wait. We're living in perilous times. Stand with me. Father, sometimes we stand amazed at how much you loved us, how much you continue to love us, You put up with us and with all of our slipshod ways, all of our selfish ways, but you continue to love us, to watch over us. And I pray this morning if there's even one person here today who doesn't have that assurance in their heart 
that if you come this afternoon before dark, that we would rise to meet you in the air. I pray that they would make that commitment to you this morning before it's too late. Because you've overcome the greatest enemy of all, death. You've given us eternal life. And you want us to start enjoying it right now. So speak to our hearts as we come to take of the bread and the wine. Lord, I pray that we'll remember what you did for us on the cross and then proved it with the resurrection. And got it approved through the resurrection. God said, yes, I will accept the forgiveness of Calvin's sin. Through the blood of my son. Speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us. Draw us close to you as we sit at the foot of the cross of Calvary. And remember the great.